to the first Sunday of April. Isn't that crazy? Time is flying. And I want to invite you to stand with us. And um, if, if your caffeine hasn't awakened you as it has me, then I invite the love of Jesus to do that right now.
the death-conquering, curse-breaking, life-giving power of God at work in raising Jesus from the dead. And uh, that's not something we only celebrate around Easter or on Easter, but year-round, 24-7. Jesus gives us life. He gives us life. And not only do we celebrate that Jesus is alive, but we celebrate that in Christ we, too, are truly alive. And his resurrection is the means to our abundant and eternal life, that those gifts, and they are gifts. And so this is why we can passionately sing, God, I am alive in you, alive in you. So this is our God is alive. Here we go.
thankful for that. We're going to take a moment now to greet the folks around us. And earlier during our uh, rehearsal, we were talking about the wonder, the majesty, the beauty of peanut butter. And we thought that uh, it'd be great for you to ask one another when you say hi, do you like it creamy, chunky, extra chunky, or super chunky? Okay? And so I, I just kind of want to get a sense of, of what your preferred, or if it's a completely different nut butter, that's fine, almond or whatever. But take a moment to greet the folks around you. If, you ha if there's someone you haven't met yet, make yourself uh, say hi, and we'll get back in just a second. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's make our way back to our seats. I have some good news. I want to invite you to stand once again. Grace of God has reached out for you and me.
And no one is beyond its reach. Absolutely no one. Let's celebrate with that right now. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the rage and sea. And I am safe on the solid ground. The Lord, the Lord is my salvation. And I will not fear. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. And who is like Him? Oh, who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save, faithful in love and my dead is Yes, the Lord is my salvation. And my hope, my hope is hidden in the Lord. He flowers each promise of His Word. When winter fades, I know spring will salvation. And who is like him? Sing it, church. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love, with my dead is faith, and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Glory be to the Father. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. The Lord is my again, church glory. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. The Lord is my salvation. And who is like God, strong to save. 
last time who is like focus on revival prayer. And in addition, I do want to invite you all back tonight here at the church at 630 where we will be having a time of focused prayer and focused worship um, for our community and for our city and for our nation. I have heard it said that a healthy church is a praying church. So I went to the scriptures and I'm like, okay, where's that gleaned from? And I see that in the book of Acts where believers gather together for teaching and the breaking of bread and for prayer. In fact, Acts Acts 2.42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They were united and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to someone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And here's where the the key is. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There it is. Devotion, unity, connection, and salvation, and prayer is a catalyst to it all. Prayer is a catalyst because when we pray for God to do something that only he can do, it reorients our prayers away from ourselves and onto God. Revival prayer is praying for something that only God can do, and it unites us together because it pushes us down into new areas of humility, relying solely on God, and that's where it starts. When you came in this morning, you may or may not have heard the news that there was a a mass shooting in Sacramento. And uh, as of this moment, six people have have died, and there's many injured. This is right in our backyard. And it really hits home to me because Katie and I were in that exact spot Wednesday night. And um, you can see the brokenness of our world the hurting of our world and the hurting of our community. So many lives have been touched by this. And I want to, when we pray this morning, I want to make sure that we're praying for the officials in Sacramento, for the police chief and for the mayor, because their city is hurting. 
In fact, I read a quote that said um, that gun violence is a city issue. And I would say that gun violence is a sin issue. And it's an issue that only can be addressed and, and taken and, and resolved by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That is why we pray for revival. That is why we come together as a church and make prayer a priority because our cities need it. Our country, our world needs it. And we, you can all, we all know it's much more than Sacramento. It is our world. So our city, our nation, and our world need revival. We need revival. The church needs revival. Just as in the book of Acts when God poured out his spirit, we want the same for our world today. Jesus can change everything when he pours out his spirit. All we have to do is just ask, seek, and knock. I believe, I truly believe that it can happen. So let's pray and expect, and then let's watch the doors open wide. Just as Jesus took the stone away and outstepped Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus can bring those who are spiritually dead to life. So let's ask in prayer for revival. If you bow your head with me right now, I'd like to pray. Lord, we look to you, and you are where our help comes from. Like the women in the scriptures who bled for 12 years, it was the touch of Jesus and her faith in what he can do that healed her. Lord, you are faithful to your promises, and we ask God for pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's you who makes the old new. It's Jesus who takes our old sinful nature and gives us new spiritual life. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. So we look to you. We put our hope in you. For you alone are strong to save and faithful in love. God, we humble ourselves and we pray for a revival. We pray from a turning from sin and a turning to you. We pray for a great awakening and an outpouring of your spirit. We pray for churches to be filled with believers who are hungry for the word of God and devoted to teaching, connection, and prayer. And we pray for churches to be filled with people seeking Jesus because your world, your word says that when they seek you, they will find you. And Lord, we lift up the city of Sacramento. We lift up those um, that are in leadership from the mayor to the police chief to all the officers and the families in the community that is just hurting from what happened there early this morning. And God, where there has been much pain, God, I pray for much healing. Where there has been great loss, God, I pray for hope. And God, I pray that your spirit would pour out on that city and people's eyes and hearts would turn toward you in their moment of despair in great loss. God, I see hope in Jesus, and I pray hope in Jesus. Our world is broken. Sides have been chosen, and many care more about being right over having relationships. So, Lord, we are sorry, and we ask for your forgiveness, and, God, we ask for refreshing to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. Join us, church. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you, you're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom, you know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you. Once again, I will love you. Forever all my days, 
one last time, church. Hallelujah. Sing it out. Hallelujah. Welcome this morning to Solana Valley Church. We're so glad you're here. For you guys who are joining us on Facebook or on YouTube, we're really glad you're here as well. And um, yeah, yeah, so it's good to see you guys. Uh, We're going to continue our series. Right now we're working our way through the book of Exodus, and uh, it's called The Road to Freedom. And we're working our way through the first of three sections in Exodus, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 15, I think verse 21 or 22, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, uh, we're, we're working our way through that and uh, going to continue to do that uh, today. Before I do that, though, I want to just kind of, I know we just got through praying. I want to pray again. Um, you know, we as a church are really, a, I think sometimes we can become very, very inwardly focused. And when I say we, I do mean us at Solana Valley, but I think just churches in general, it's easy for us to do this. And one thing I want us to understand, we're a part of a worldwide global network of churches called the church, okay? That it is every true believer uh, of every church where people are truly following Jesus. And we're a part of this body of Christ, which is absolutely awesome, where God is doing something awesome in our world. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed. We hear about the news about what happened in SAC early this morning, and we get we can feel overwhelmed. That's why God's word says, uh, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And by the way, when we pray for revival, that's exactly what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're asking God to do what only he can do. We're asking him to stem the tide of evil, and we are overcoming evil with good. And that's what happens when we come and we pray uh, for that purpose. Uh, but as a church, our church, Solana Valley Church, we're part of uh, a network of churches here in Northern California. We're also part uh, of a church uh, network of churches across the nation, about a thousand of us, with Venture Church Network. And we do have lots of churches all around the world. We have many in the Ukraine right now who are really suffering with what's happening there. Uh, but the reason I wanted to bring this up today is there's a church over in Santa Rosa who needs our prayer today. It's a church who actually adopted us a while back to pray for us. And uh, they actually reached out to me and said, you know, we'd like you to send some prayers, some things that you could pray for us about. And uh, 
So I, I, I was in contact with them about that. But the pastor of their church is a guy named Tim. Tim is a really, really good friend of mine. Tim is the president of our board uh, of Venture Church Network here in Northern California. Really, really good guy. He's a younger guy. He's only 47. Uh, he, his wife, Elisa, uh, they have three kids, uh, three kids. Their oldest, Ashley, is going to college over in Colorado. Then they have a son, uh, Trent, who is 18, and their youngest son is Tyler. Uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, Tim is very gifted, very talented. God has really used him to impact a lot of churches and a lot of people's lives throughout Northern California. And uh, we're really good friends. We contact each other every week. Uh, we're constantly praying for one another, uh, praying for our families, praying for our churches together. But today, uh, Tim needs our prayer. And um, so uh, Tim was born with a um, congenital uh, heart defect, uh, defective valve. And he's had trouble off and on much of his life. But, I mean, he's grew up really, really athletic, loved playing football, baseball, basketball. He couldn't play competitively in basketball and football when he was in high school because of the problems that he had. And, um, and, and they would always monitor him and do things for him and stuff like that. And, and then in his 30s and his 40s, he just kind of uh, neglected everything and just went, you know, I mean, and I understand this as a pastor. Sometimes you just kind of get caught up in all the stuff that you do. And so sometimes your health kind of goes to the, the back burner. Uh, and this happened for Tim. And uh, he was playing basketball with some friends. And one of his buddies who knows him really well, he had come off the basketball court. He just wasn't feeling well. And the, his friend said, Tim, are you okay? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And he said, are you sure? And, and Tim wasn't okay. And so he went in to the doctor. The doctor said, Tim, you can walk out of this office to your car. You can drive your car home. You can walk out of the car. Do not get your golf clubs out of the car. You can walk from your car into your home, and that's all you can do. No more walking. And uh, we're going to have to do open-heart surgery. They went in with lots of hope. You know, he's been struggling with oxygen deprivation most of his life because of this heart defect. And the doctor's like, ma'am, when we fix this valve, you, you're just going to feel fantastic. And so Tim had already scheduled his next 10K. That he was going to run with some friends. And, you know, he was just, you know, full of life. And all of this is at age 40. And, um, and so they went in. And everything appeared to go perfectly normal. But a few days later, Tim was feeling a lot worse. And what they didn't realize is that he, uh, he acquired uh, an infection, a fungal infection in his heart. It only happens to three people a year. That's how rare it is. And so uh, they went back in. They were able to remove some of the infection and stuff, but they weren't sure if they got all of it. It's really hard to know. So they put him on an antifungal medication, and for the most part, they've been able to control it somewhat. But I have known, Tim, I, we, we had a board meeting a while back. I can't remember. It was a few months back. The week before, he flatlined on a table, and they resuscitated him. Tim has come close to death many times. And uh, recently, he got COVID and, uh, and wasn't feeling well. And his 15-year-old son, Tyler, you know, he came in, and, you know, 
you guys who've had some medical procedures, you know how it is. You, you schedule a procedure, then you wait. You schedule a procedure, then you wait. You schedule a procedure, then you wait. Then you wait, then you wait, and you schedule a procedure. It's kind of the way it goes. And, and Tyler was just angry because he's 15 years old, and he's like, why can't we just go in today? Isn't that why we buy insurance? And, and so this is, like, super hard. This has been, you know, since, t- since Tyler was eight years old, uh, he's been used to his dad going into the hospital and then finding out later that night he's not coming home. And so it's like you're losing your dad or you're afraid of losing your dad again and again and again. And so, um, since COVID, um, well, we had met for lunch probably two weeks ago, and I knew then I could tell what well, he just wasn't doing well, and they were waiting for the next test. And then he went in the other day, and it was really, really bad. And so they've been able to confirm the fungal infection is back in his heart. It's also attacking one of his kidneys. Uh, and he's just really, really sick. And his family, his wife, their three kids are devastated. And they're terrified. They're afraid. They're afraid of losing their dad of their husband. And we've gone through our own experience of this with Matt. So I feel like as a church, we understand what it's like when one of your pastors is really, really sick. And so I just kind of feel like we should pray for them, like they've prayed for us. And I think that's why we network with other churches who are like-hearted and like-minded in the same mission we have of making disciples and reaching our world. So I'd like to just lead us in a time of prayer real quick, if you don't mind, about this. And silently in your own hearts, as I lead in prayer, you may be aware of someone else who's really, really sick, maybe even someone in our church I'm not aware of. And But just whatever God prompts you with, as I'm praying here aloud, pray silently in your heart to God on behalf of those others. Can we do this? Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are, you are the creator of the heavens, the earth, and all that they contain. You did all of that simply by speaking it forth. God, you are awesomely in charge of the entire universe. There is not a single atom that exists in this universe, that you don't know it inside and out. There is nothing that happens. A leaf does not fall to the ground anywhere that you don't know it. You know every single hair on our heads. God, you you know us intimately inside and out. God, you know what's happening in our bodies before the doctors know, before we know. God, we know there is nothing you can't do. And that's why we pray. So right now, my prayer is for Tim, for Elisa, for their kids. My prayer is first and foremost that you will give them grace and give them peace in a very dark moment in their lives. My prayer, God, is that you would 
you would just give them your peace. Give them Give them your sustaining grace. And Lord, I, I pray not just for the family, but for their church. God, comfort them. And God, my prayer is that your will prevail in this situation, in the life of each and every one of them. I pray, God, that, that your will prevails. I pray, as my wife Joy prays so often, that you would recycle all of this for good. And God, because nothing is too difficult for you, I pray for total and complete healing. God, whether you heal them through medical science or whether you heal them supernaturally, I pray for healing because I know nothing is too difficult for you. But God, I pray that through it all, you will be glorified and you will help them and help us to fix our hope on Jesus. Uh, to fix our hope on Jesus. God, the reason there's so much chaos in this world, the reason we don't feel at home here so often is because this is not our home. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day of your coming. Between now and then, God, we pray that you'll be glorified in us. And Tim, Elisa, Ashley, Trent, Tyler, Redemption Hill Church, our church. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So I went a little long there. I apologize, but I just felt like I needed to do that. I'm going to encourage you to open your Bible to Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Remember, chapter divisions mean nothing in your Bible. Okay? They are not a part of the original Word of God. These are man-made inventions that have been put there. And sometimes they've been put there in stupidly awkward ways. And this is one of those texts where the chapter divisions are stupidly awkward, okay? Remember, chapter divisions do not come from God. Verse divisions do not come from God. The Word of God are the words you read. And uh, if you stop at the end of chapter 3, you miss the whole point of the story, okay? So we're going to be looking at this, but before I read it, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt inadequate for a task? Anybody ever had that experience? Okay, a couple of us have, all right? I remember one time extremely vividly, I remember one time extremely vividly, I was at Kaiser Hospital Vallejo. My wife had just had a C-section. She couldn't get up. She couldn't walk. She couldn't pick up Caleb, our firstborn baby. She couldn't really do much except just lie there and heal, okay? And uh, I remember the nurse brought Caleb in in this little stroller-type thing, and he's laying there on top of it, this little bitty, little bitty baby. And the nurse looks at me and she says, he needs to have his diaper changed. And I'm like, me? I felt, this is funny, I literally said, I'm scared. I felt so inadequate. I had never changed a diaper before. I had very little experience with babies, and I felt completely inadequate to be a dad. And I changed my very first diaper. <laughs> Have you ever felt inadequate 
for a task. You know, in, in when we're reading through Exodus and we begin in Exodus 3.1, I want you to remember where this story begins. It really begins in chapters 1 and 2. And in chapter 1, we, you know, in chapter 1, we read about the multiplication of the people of Israel so that they became a great nation. We also read about the cruel oppression of Israel by the Egyptians. And then in chapter 2, we read about the birth of Moses. And uh, we read about how he went out to check on this people. And he watches, he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew senseless. So the Bible tells us that Moses looked this way and that way. He looks every which way but up. Takes matters into his own hands. This is not a crime of passion. This is a, a, a crime that is very deliberate. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. And then Pharaoh, ruler of Egypt, finds out about it, tries to kill Moses. Moses runs for his life to a place called Midian, pretty far away. And uh, he meets this man named Rule, his seven daughters. He, he marries one of his daughters, Zipporah, and then they have a son uh, that, that they named Gershom. Now, really quickly, Gershom... Sounds kind of like a bizarre name. It's so easy for us to read this, and we just kind of blow past it because we don't really get it. Let's imagine for a moment that uh, I – because I lived in Hungary when I was a younger man. Let's pretend like I'm originally from Hungary. Let's imagine that I kill someone, and then I have to run for my life because I know I'm going to be arrested, and I know I'm going to be convicted, and I know I'm probably going to be executed. And I come to America, and – uh, I meet this wonderful young woman, but I come here as an illegal immigrant. I can't come here legally because I am running from the law in Hungary. I'm an illegal immigrant now in this nation. And I marry, and we have a child. And let's just pretend I name my child Alan. Okay? Alan. And and it's interesting is when when Moses names Gershom, Gershom, he says this, he names him Gershom, and he says, because I am an alien in an alien land. See, Gershom sounds like the Hebrew word alien, a foreigner. Kind of like Alan kind of sounds like alien, and that's what Moses does. And for the next 40 years, for the next 40 years, Moses has gone from being a prince in Egypt to watching over sheep. He's gone from, from, from being this prince of Egypt to watching over sheep. He doesn't even have his own sheep herd. He's, he's watching over the sheep of his father-in-law, Ruel or Jethro. He has two names, Ruel and Jethro, kind of like my dad. My dad's given name when he was born is Norman. But in Palestine, Arkansas, everybody knew him as Buddy. Okay? And, and Ruel, Jethro... Uh, his father-in-law, and he's, he's, he doesn't even have his own sheep herding business. He's, he's working for his father-in-law. And for 40 years, he has this opportunity to reflect on his failure. You know, he wanted to help his people, and he failed miserably and had to run for his life. Uh, 
at the very end of chapter 2, and this, this isn't in our, our notes, Larice, So, but at the end of chapter 2, it says, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery, their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, also called Mount Sinai. Okay? So, same location, two names. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the God, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Bible tells us this, Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying. Crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. That's a picture of just wonderful place to be. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now remember, Moses has had 40 years to remember his failure. By the way, when we remember our failures, sometimes we feel like failures. Anybody ever failed before? I have. I have failed many times. I have failed as a husband. I have failed as a father. I have failed as a pastor. I have failed in many ways. Every once in a while, I remember something I've done. It's just like I, I cringe. I think, oh, man. I have to constantly remind myself that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have to remind myself that all the time. I have to remind myself that, you know what, in Christ Jesus, I am a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Moses right now, probably feeling pretty low. And God is unloading this huge task on him. Kind of like, you know, a baby who needs a diaper? Well, maybe a little bit more than that. It's an overwhelming task. 
the last time he had confronted a Pharaoh, that Pharaoh had tried to kill Moses. Now he's supposed to go to the new Pharaoh? He's supposed to return to the place where they were trying to kill him? be a little bit overwhelming. What would you do? What would you do? My guess is you'd probably do the same thing Moses did. You'd probably say something like, uh, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, do you know who you're talking to here? All right? I mean, I know you're God. I know you created everything. You know, I know you're like, you know, awesomely in charge. But who am I? What? You're meant to talk to someone else, not me. Right, God? I mean, this is a wrong number. You called the wrong number. Who am I? Now, if you're God, how do you answer that question? Moses is asking exactly the wrong question. Who am I? And so God really doesn't answer his question the way maybe Moses wants it. God said, I will be with you. Well, God, that's not a very good answer. It's not good enough for me. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, he doesn't get the sign until after he's done the work. What kind of a sign is that? I want a sign before I do the work. I want some kind of, you know, guarantee before I actually march into Egypt where they're trying to kill me. I want a sign way before. You're saying I don't even get the sign until I brought everybody out and we come back to this mountain and worship you? What kind of a sign is that? Well, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? That's kind of a good question. You know, if you're Moses, I kind of think that's a good question. It's like, you know, if I marched up to your house and knocked on the door and said, God sent me to talk to you today. You know, I mean, you know, if, if, if God said, I want you to go to your neighbor, you know, who lives on the other side of the street, you know, the one that you kind of awkwardly say hello to, and tell him you have a message from God. I would feel kind of awkward with that. And so so he, he says, you know, what shall I tell them? What is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Eh, yeah. That means I am in Hebrew. Important, important. I am. Eh, yeah. Eh, yeah. The reason it's important is because I am, eh, yeah, sounds very similar to Yahweh. It's a play on words. Yahweh is our word translated as Lord. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, Aya, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And then God says to Moses, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. I have seen what has been done to you. I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hittites, Hevites, Jebusites, Mosquito bites, and I lost my place, wherever we are in that. Let me just call it a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt, and you are to say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now, listen. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to, to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Now, folks, you have to think not like a 21st century North American. You have to go back to antiquity to understand this, and you have to think like a person living 3,500 years ago, or this blows right past you. The God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, Pharaoh, to tell you to let my people go into the desert, into the wilderness, to worship our God. Now, if you're an Egyptian, you're like... Are you kidding me? We, we use your people, the God of your people. We, we use your God means nothing to us. We use your decaying bodies to, to clean our latrines. You are nothing. Your God is nothing. We are powerful. We are the most powerful nation in the world because our gods are the most powerful gods in the world. Your God, a God of slaves, is telling me, king of Egypt, to let your people go? Moses is walking into a place of absolute contempt for God. Never lose sight of this. Never lose sight of this. Egyptians had nothing but contempt for Israelites. And they had nothing but contempt for the God of Israel. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Pharaoh's about to find out which God has a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he'll let you go. There will be ten plagues. We're going to read about this in a couple of weeks. Each one of those plagues show, demonstrate, reveal the awesomeness of the God of slaves over the greatest nation in the world and their gods. God goes on to say to Moses, and I will make the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed to this people. 
So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. It's kind of like remuneration for 400 years, actually 430 years, of just ruthless, oppressive slavery. Verse 1, Moses answered, this is why you should never stop reading at the end of a chapter. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? What do you have in your hand, Moses? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Egyptian symbol, according to John Hanna, one of my old prophets at Dallas Seminary, uh, a symbol of both power and of life for the Egyptians. Throw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. I would too. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. It's a pretty cool trick, isn't it? Um, um, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, diseased. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak. God told Moses. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile. Now, remember the Nile River. It's the longest river, uh, longest river in the world. It's like a little over 4,300 miles, if I remember correctly. Actually, since I bought my Fitbit, I've actually walked the length of the Nile River. That was like a week ago. Um, <clears throat> so, um, for the Nile for the Egyptians was obviously it was a source of food. It was a source of food. It was where they fished, got food. Uh, it was also from the floods of the Niles that the uh, Delta area was very, very fertile for agriculture. And so for them, uh, the Nile was a symbol of productivity. And so what he does, he, he tells Moses, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. This would be a symbol of judgment to the Egyptians. You think Moses is ready to go now? Uh, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Pardon your servant. Um... I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow with speech and tongue. I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not a very good preacher. I'm not a very good teacher. I could never talk to another person about Jesus. 
God can never work through me. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who makes who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. One more excuse. I think this is his fourth excuse in a row here. Maybe it's his fifth. I don't know. I haven't been keeping count. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. It's like finally he's like, I don't know what else to say. God's just not getting a hint here. I've been telling him all along, who am I that you're sending me? You know, if people ask me your name, what if they don't believe me? Uh, you know, uh, well, I'm not eloquent. Speak. God's just not getting it. Is he really that dense? And so finally he says to God, he says, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Now, very next verse is very important. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. You see those words? God's upset. God's a little bit irritated. God's kind of like, you know, I'm tired of telling you again and again and again. This is really funny. This is really funny, okay? Because it's about me, not about you, but it might be about you too. But I remember years ago, I remember when I was in seminary, you know, just praying, asking God, God, how do you want us to, to use us in building your kingdom? I really wanted to either teach in a Bible college somewhere. I thought I could do that. You know, I had some pretty good connections and stuff. I thought, you know, maybe be an associate pastor in a larger church or mid-sized church or possibly uh, be uh, a pastor uh, of, uh, of a smaller church. I thought I could do all those things. And... Um, and I had really, really good recs, so I knew I had fairly good connections and could probably get a position in any one of those kinds of positions. And I, I just said, God, how do you want us to invest our life in building your kingdom? And I felt very clearly, it was very clearly, I felt like God said, I want you to plant a church that makes disciples, make disciples that plant churches, and plant churches to reach our world. And when you are a church planner, guess what? When you're when you're a pastor of a church that, by the way, doesn't exist, it consists of two people, yourself and your wife, guess what? Did you know there's no paycheck? You know, there's no paycheck. And I really wanted a paycheck. And so I said, well, God, I really don't want to do that. So what do you want me to do? And I felt like God very clearly said, I want you to plant a church that makes disciples, make disciples that plant churches, and plant churches to reach our world. And I'm pretty sure, I said, well, God, I really don't want to do that, so what do you want me to do? And I think I said this more to God. I think I said it more than two or three times. And finally, I began to realize, if I'm putting a condition on God, why would I ever expect him to really tell me what he wants me to do? This is what I'll tell you. I am so grateful we did what God wanted us to do. I am. I'm hugely grateful. I'm hugely grateful that I get to be your pastor today. I am hugely grateful for the people that we've been able to invest in through the years. I, I am really grateful 
for all the lives that have been changed and touched through the years. I, I, I received an email this last week from a friend of ours who lives in another state. You know what he emailed me? Anybody ever done your 100-word testimony? Where you write out your testimony in 100 words or less? Like, you know, this is what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. This is how my life is different. I received an email from a guy this week saying, I was looking back and I found my 100-word testimony. And he sent me his 100-word testimony this last week. It was kind of, it felt good. It felt good. The Lord's anger burned against Moses because Moses said, well, uh, because Moses had said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And the, the, it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And, and, and God says to Moses, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. All right. I got a lot of notes. So we'll go to the end. We'll go to the end, okay? Because I hear God saying, let my people go. (laughs) All right. Real quick, I'll hit this hard fast, okay? Uh, Four points, four points. Point number one is this. Like Moses... You have been sent on a mission. The good news is you don't have to go to Pharaoh. Okay? You don't have to walk in someplace where they're probably going to try to kill you. That's the good news. But you've been sent on a mission. Um, You've been sent on a mission. Jesus says this in Matthew 4.19. He says, follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. God intends each of us to follow Jesus. He intends each of us to be fishers of men. Jesus says this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I know some of you say, well, my part is to sit in church on Sunday mornings and listen to the pastor while he does that work. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Listen to the words of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Of all people. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. By the way, that would include the commandment of go therefore and make disciples. Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, the very first objection of Moses was, who am I? And the answer of God is, I will be with you. The Lord God has told you to go and make disciples. And he has said, I will be with you. By the way, Jesus is the Lord God. Jesus says in John chapter 20, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. So I have sent you. In Acts 1 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Now, some of you, you've been exposed to 
paradigms of evangelism and witnessing that when you hear this, some of you, you cringe. Okay, so when I'm talking about making disciples, when I'm talking about being a fisher of men, when I'm talking about being a witness, I am not talking about being stupidly awkward. Okay? Jesus never says, go and be stupidly awkward. He never says that. Some of you have been exposed to paradigms of evangelism that look more like just being obnoxious, trying to bully people into the kingdom of God. That is not biblical. It's not the way of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk with you about what this looks like in just a moment. But right now, what I want you to understand, all you need to understand right now, is God has given you a mission. The question is, how are we going to do it? I'll get to that in a moment. Okay? Three other quick points are these. Number one, or number two, I guess. If the Lord God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, if the Lord God has sent you, no excuse will pardon you from the mission God has sent you on. Moses gave lots of excuses, and God did not pardon him from the mission God had sent him on. And God does not pardon us. Okay? Number, and, and I've heard all kinds of excuses. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, yeah, right. I don't, I don't have the gift of mercy, but I'm still supposed to be merciful. One of the Beatitudes is, blessed are the merciful. That applies to me, even though I may not have the gift of mercy. Bad has the gift of mercy, not me. I have the gift of being obnoxious, okay? Now, if the Lord God has sent you, no excuse will pardon you for the mission God has sent you on. Number three, do not let your feelings of personal inadequacy keep you from trusting in the Lord God's all-sufficiency. See, this is the problem so many of us have. The reason that we are reluctant to take upon ourselves this idea of following Jesus and being fishers of men, of being witnesses for Jesus, of making disciples, is because we focus too much on our own inadequacy instead of focusing on God's all-sufficiency. Let me tell you this. If God made your mouth, can God speak to you? If the God who created the heavens and the earth, which, by the way, takes awesome power. If the God who created the heavens and the earth, which takes awesome power, can he give you power to be witnesses for Jesus? The answer is, heck, yes. And I really want to throw in a profane word there to get people's attention. But I won't do that today. Do not let your feelings of personal inadequacy keep you from trusting in God's all-sufficiency. Finally, number four, obey God, not your fears. Obey God, not your fears. Ultimately, Moses does that. He obeys God. Some pretty cool things happen. We're going to see that. Real quick, let's talk about what this looks like in our lives, okay? This is not from Exodus uh, 3 and 4, but talking about our mission. Let's talk about what this can look like. Let me ask you if you can do this. Can you pray for 15 minutes? 
Can you take a 15-minute walk to your neighborhood and just pray for 15 minutes? God, I pray for my friends in this house, or I pray for these people in this house who I barely know, but I know them by face, or I know them by name. God, bless them, save them. Use me to be a blessing. Can you do that? This is a simple little method. Prayer, care, share. Pray. Can you do that? Uh, I'd like to maybe challenge you to do something. We are 14 days away from Easter. Do it once every other day, seven days over the next 14 days. Just pray. I'm not asking you to knock on someone's door, you know, awkwardly invite them to church. Don't do that. By the way, I did crash through someone's fence a few weeks ago uh, on my bike, and we made a great connection. The guy said, hey, you know, let me go get you a beer. You need a chair? I'll get you a chair. You know, while we were waiting for Joy to come pick me up. I crashed through his fence. The other day I ran into him again, not on my bike. But, well, I was on my bike, but I didn't actually run into them physically. Ran into him and his wife. We were talking. You know, I just got a call from Joy that our son Caleb and his wife, Jessica, were at the house. And I needed to skedaddle back to the house. And we started talking. And it was just, it was the most natural thing in the world to say, hey, you know, they, they, uh, Christina said, you know, I hope you have a happy Easter. I said, hey, you know, I would love for you guys to join us, you know, uh, if you'd like to. And it was just, it was the most natural thing in the world. I, I, it, it was, those kinds of things happen when you're praying. But the first thing I'm just encouraging you to do is pray. God say, bless these people. Then secondly, care. How do you care for people? First of all, do a kind look. Just smile at your neighbors, you know, the people you interact with in everyday life. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Kindness. Show kindness through a kind look. Show kindness through a kind word. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Show kindness uh, through maybe a kind deed. It might look like you have a new neighbor and you go and say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's some brownies. Okay. You can make a batch and you keep half for yourself and give the other half to them, okay? But it's just a kind deed, a kind look, a kind word, a kind deed. And then number number three is this, share. Share your 100-word testimony. Uh, okay, so what I have done on our phone app, where's my phone? It's over there. Who cares? Okay, so if you go on our phone app, you can go into resources, and there's a little worksheet there for writing out a 100-word testimony. You can go on our website, uh, www.solanavalley.org. Go to the resources menu thing, whatever you call that. What's that called? Anyway, who cares? Tab. Uh, and you'll find there's this 100-word testimony, you know. On that, on that little stand-up desk right back there with the Kleenex on it, and there's a little Bible. I printed off 15 copies. Pick one up, take it home, work on it. Uh, why do I say 100 words? Is because if I tell you to do more than 100 words, you probably won't do it. You know how long it takes to write 100 words? About 15 minutes. Five minutes. This was my, my life like. This is what my life was like before Jesus. Uh, five minutes. This is how I met Jesus. Five minutes. Uh, this is how Jesus is making a difference in my life. And then I'm not asking you to go and knock on someone's door. I'm not asking you to wear a sandwich board by a street corner and yell at people, turn or burn. I'm just saying, be ready. Just be ready to share your 100-word testimony when the opportunity comes. Will the opportunity come? Well, I 
this last week, my friend Sean, uh, who is uh, dating our oldest daughter, Cass, uh, Sean was sharing with me that there's this guy he works with from time to time this last week, just out of the blue, was I guess he was kind of in a difficult place in his life, and he just made this offhanded comment, you know, Sean, one of the things I really respect in you is I feel like you just you just seem like, I don't know, you're just so steady. And and then he asked Sean, what's that about? And Sean was like, well, I, I mean, with me, I think it's my relationship with God. You know what the guy said to him after that? You mean Jesus? Do those things happen? I think when you're praying, when you're being kind, and when you're ready, they do happen. We're not talking about being obnoxious. We're not talking about being superly awkward. We're just talking about prayer, care, share, living your life uh, prayerfully, kindly, and ready. Uh, the Bible tells us, but in your hearts, uh, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready, always being ready. That's what the 100-word testimony is. Always being ready to give the reason for the hope that you have uh, when you're asked, but do this with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness and reverence, not being obnoxious, not being belligerent, but gentleness and reverence, being ready. That's uh, so all I got today, uh, a la PC. Uh, let's pray, and I'm going to let you guys go. I'm going to listen to God. God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us. We are so grateful that you are a God who's created all things, and you are a God who redeems your people. You redeemed your people from, uh, from Egypt, and you redeemed us from our sin. Lord, help us to be faithful to the mission that you have given us. Uh, protect us from making excuses. Help us to focus on your all-sufficiency instead of our uh, personal inadequacy. I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. I won't use the stand. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, our Facebook and YouTube viewers as well. Thank you, Gary, for the message and challenging us. Um, it's always good to ask God what he wants us to do and then listen to him. And sometimes that's a little hard, but it's a great reminder to always be ready. Well, here at SVC, we believe that one of the measures of being a disciple of Jesus is that we're growing in our love for God and for others. And it's vital to have a consistent interaction and connection with one another. Um, you can do this. There are plenty of different ways, but one of the ways is by joining a small group or jumping in and serving to any one of our ministries that we offer here. And you can do this um, by going to our SVC app. And you can download it from the App Store or Google Play if you have not done so already. And you can also connect with Pastor Gary or Matt over coffee sometime. They would love to meet with you, pray for you, listen to you, get to know you a little bit better. Um, and you can get to know them a little bit better as well. Um, so 
Um, we just also invite you after the service to stick around and um, enjoy some refreshments and coffee. And then we just thrive so much more when we are connected to one another. So we just encourage you to make that a priority in your life. We are so looking forward to Good Friday and Easter Sunday coming up. It's taking place the weekend of April 15th through the 17th. And on Good Friday, we will be gathering here at the church 6 p.m. and take time to worship God and just reflect on that enormous sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Um, And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be gathering at our normal time at 10 a.m. just to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. We are also going to be closing out this service with our worship in giving. Um, we can give five different ways here. You can either go to directly to our website at www.solanovalley.org forward slash giving. You can also tap the give button on that SVC app that you've downloaded. Um, you can also send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. You can also text the word G-I-V-E to 707-883-3019. And then if you're here in person, we have a mail slot in the back that you can put your offering into. We just want to say again, thank you so much for supporting the ministry of our church and affecting lives in our community. Thank you so much, Elsa. Let's stand together, church. Celebrate the love of God one more time together before we go. All right, church, let's sing. There were walls. There were walls between us. chains around us. By your grace, we are no longer bound. No longer bound. You call me out of the grave. You call me into the light. You call my name and my heart came alive. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I invite you back tonight, 630 for Revival Prayer. Hope to see you then.